0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Two Lessons Learned. I know the name of this podcast has changed a few times and it might change one more time, but we're getting it all figured out. So I get questions quite often about how to start a business. Uh, It's a path that I didn't think that I would go down as I was younger. Uh, As I was younger, I, I you know, when I was little, I was like, "Oh, I want to be an astronaut, right?" Because all all kids want to be astronauts. And then, as I got a little bit older, more high school, and right after high school, I wanted to be a dentist. Uh, not because I had any passion about dentistry; it's just I heard they made a lot of money. Then I heard that the suicide rate among dentists is uh, extremely high because a lot of them don't like their jobs. And I thought, "Hey, that's probably not the path that I want to go down." Um. Everybody's story in business is very different. So I've read I would say over a hundred books at this point, probably more. Um a couple hundred books at this point about starting businesses, running businesses, the psychology of business, the psychology of money. And uh I don't think that any of them do justice as far as the individual the individualized portion that goes into business. So I just kind of want to tell more of my story and portray to you that no matter what your story is, you can get into business and you can add value to others, which when it comes right down to it, it is the adding value. So we're just going to start at the beginning. Um, I uh, had a great childhood, Um, really great parents, uh, really great brothers and sisters. Uh, I was the youngest uh, by seven years. So my next older brother is seven years older than me. Um, So definitely had that connection with brothers and sisters, but um, probably was more like a only child as far as once I got a little bit older which is totally fine. My parents are awesome and 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 things were great. Um I put out on Facebook the other day what people's earliest memories were cuz I was just curious. Uh cuz my earliest memory is it's kind of cloudy. I I had a birthday and I got this little set of tractors with these little implements that went behind it. And I was out in our garden and, um, then we had to go to my grandpa or grandma's and, um, my parents are like, Hey, we're going to go. I was like, oh, I can't find this implement. They're like, okay, well, you know, take some time finding it. And I never could find it. And I guess maybe because I lost my birthday toy, that was really like one of my first memories <clears throat> but when I start to think about the house that we were in and where I was at, it might not be my first memory. Um, so you're like, how does this have to do with business? It, it doesn't completely, but um, individualized stories in business uh, are what are intriguing. So um, that might be my first memory, but what really stands out is when we were at my grandma's house and we got a phone call. I was eight years old. We got a phone call that our house was on fire. And uh, in the beginning, it was like, hey, a house probably isn't on fire. Um, there's probably just a fire near there. So we start driving east towards our house, and we see just this big plume of smoke. And uh, not sure if we saw sirens or heard sirens or anything, but we saw this plume of smoke. And then I remember pulling into the driveway And I mean, the house was just, uh, you know, on fire had, had not burned down. The, the firefighters had done a good job at getting there and stopping it, but it was a complete loss. Um, as far as, you know, they ended up, uh, taking the house away and, and, and um, we didn't get everything out of the house, but there, there were several things. Um, a couple things there though, that are, that are kind of sad. Um, they said, you know, don't, touch anything in the house. Don't worry about anything like insurance is going to take care of it. And there were a few things that were important to me that, uh, ended up getting taken away. Um, uh, not, not taken away, just, uh, it's not like someone took it from us. It was just a bad miscommunication. And, uh, we just didn't get those things. Uh, one was I have this, uh, this guy in my life that was very influential, uh, such a, an amazing individual. His name's Rex Radford. And, um, he had given me a helmet from, I believe it was Korea. He had fought in Korea and, um, that helmet is now not with us. Uh, it, it went in the house. Um, so that actually like, that still gets to me to today, just kind of bothers me that, that we don't have that piece of history from someone that was so influential in my life. Um, So, uh, school was good. Uh, never really had to study super hard. Uh, I'm not incredibly smart, but I could just get through my work pretty quick and got pretty good grades. Um, started getting pretty chubby around middle school, junior high. And, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about nutrition back in the day. I just, uh, I ate what was around. So got pretty chubby and, um, think I was kind of a, kind of a loner. I didn't have a lot of friends in school and, uh, I would hang out with neighbor kids a lot. And one day this, this neighbor kid that weirdly came into my life way later on when I was a, a paramedic, um, which is an interesting story. Maybe I'll get into that later. Uh, I said, Hey, let's race. And he said, there's no way your fat A could keep up with me. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not fat. And then I went and looked in the mirror and I was like, oh crap. (laughs) I am uh I'm pretty fat. So um in a in a pretty unhealthy way, I uh stopped eating for a summer and I think I dropped like forty or fifty pounds. Like it was it was an insane number uh, went back to school and it was so weird. All of a sudden, I don't know if it was a confidence thing or if kids are just jerks. And so I come back to school, not chubby. And I always said I would write a book called for every pound you lose, you gain a friend. Uh, it was so weird. Just going back to school. It was, it was like a completely different, different place. Uh, kids treated me different. It was, it was really interesting. So, uh, I learned from that, uh, one, while I was chubby, uh, I felt like I had to gain a personality. I had to kind of be funny or witty or whatever. <clears throat> so, I'm uh, not trying to say this any of this in a negative light. I honestly think that everything that happens to us in life, whether it's positive or negative, can come and be a positive experience if we approach it correctly. Uh, I didn't know that I was approaching it correctly at the time, but. You know, I was able to gain a personality, and I, and also too, when I was kind of more of a a loner, I did very different things. I I like studied Idaho history like crazy. I I got really obsessed with Indians and mountain men, and learned how to trap and tan uh, skins and just things that you wouldn't really normally do. So, you know, that kind of shaped me as well. So. Yeah, for every pound you, l- you lose, you can a friend um went back to school, totally different experience. Um started getting more into girls, you know. I liked I like girls. Um had some some positive experiences there and some negative experiences there. I think uh I I love quickly and so um you know, in the right circumstances that's good and in, in the wrong circumstances, that's not good. Um, so I would say had some early heartbreak, uh, which is fine. Uh, just, you know, young love. Um, I didn't really hang out a lot with kids from my school. Uh, I, I hung out a lot with kids the next school over. So Ryrie just, uh, fell in line really good with them. Um, my best friend growing up, his name was Mitch Parker. Uh, su- such a solid individual, just just very, um, just a good guy. Um, also, uh, Travis Gallup from Ryrie, um, very influential in my life. Actually, if we're telling stories, um, <laughs> my first my first remembrance of Travis was we were in the forest near Mitch Parker's house, and. Mitch was like, Hey, this is Tyler, Tyler. This is Travis. And Travis gets this look on his face, like, Holy cow. And he goes, you're the fat kid. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was me. So he had uh, seen me when I was you know, chubby. And um, then I lost all that weight. And uh, same thing for every pound you lose, you gain a friend. Maybe Travis didn't want to be friends when I was fat. No, I'm just just kidding. Travis, if you're listening to this, no, uh, Travis was very influential. Um, also another kid, uh, Mark Hamilton, um, awesome, awesome guy. He's come back into my life kind of later on and uh, has helped me with some stuff, and he's just a, a really good guy. So um, lots of stories. Okay, um, let's keep going because we're, we're really getting into w- the individualization of business. So this is all shaping me. This is shaping me into who I am and, and what I want to become. Which, truthfully, at a young age, I didn't know what I wanted to become, but we're being shaped. So I think it's really important that we think of that when we are raising our children, when we're around other kids, when we're thinking about all the stuff that's going on today. Um, And and I'll even bring it up. Um, I know this stuff is super controversial, not really in my friend group, but maybe in the nation. You know, you've got these drag shows that are being put in in public places. And I truthfully, and let's even get into this. When I was younger, I was pretty judgmental. Um, I, I, I I don't know if it was the area that we grew up in or what it was, but I was, I was, I was pretty judgmental and I don't want to say racist, but like it, there was a, there was kind of a, a, a delineation between white and, and Mexican and black. And it's never that I looked down on it. It was just, I felt like we were very different. That has completely changed uh, with different uh, places and things that we've done in our life, which I can also get into <clears throat> in this. So, uh, and just going back to this, uh, you know, there, right now there's these, these uh, drag shows that are being put in public places in front of kids. Now, like I said, I might have been judgmental in the past. I don't care if someone goes and has a drag show and there are consenting adults that are choosing to be there. I'm fine with that. Like whatever. Go do your life, live your life. I don't care if you're gay, straight, trans, black, white, green, alien. I mean, there's some aliens apparently popping into the United States now. Uh the CIA's uh, release some documents and so is the Pentagon. We live among aliens, whatever. I don't care. Do your thing, but don't force me into it. And especially don't force our children into it. Go have your drag show on your own in a private place where there are consenting adults do it. And I don't care. As soon as you move it into a public place and you start sexualizing our children, that's the line. It's You've passed it. You're past the line. And that, that's just going back to the being influential on our kids. We need to see them as developing children that are going to become developed adults. We need to make sure that we are helping them in the right direction uh, and that's not the right direction. Um, sexualizing children and and putting drag queens with no clothes on, twerking in front of kids is completely unacceptable. This is going way off topic, but um, it is completely unacceptable. And uh, very few people think that it is acceptable. And it's really sad that we're taking this acceptability from a few people and saying that it's okay for everybody. Anyways, B very conscious that everything that we are doing and saying to kids around us are molding them into what they're going to be in the future. So all of these things were helping me get to where I want to be. Um, I had a girlfriend in high at, right after high school, uh, which was pretty influential in me going on an LDS mission. Um, My family was always funny because I would, I'm, I'm a push, I'm a pusher, I'm a pushbacker. So if someone says jump, then I think stand. And if they say stand, then I think jump. And, uh, I, I always kind of knew that I was going to go on an LDS mission, but I said for my 18th birthday or 19th, nobody get me anything mission related, or I will not go on a mission. Like, I, um, I just didn't want to be forced. I didn't want to be, be pushed in any way. And my parents were great. Nobody pushed me or, 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 you know, wanted me to, they all wanted me to go, but they didn't push me to go. But the, the girlfriend that I had at the time was very much like, I will only marry a return missionary. And uh, so I was like, well, I guess I should go. I, I, need, to, I need to go on that mission. <clears throat> um, and so I did. And uh, it was such a great experience for me. Um, six months in, she like had another boyfriend and now I think she's gone off and she's like a, a Wiccan or something. I don't, I don't really know. Um, haven't had contact in many, many years. Um, so everything works out good. Gordon B. Hinckley once, I'm not trying to take this all to a spiritual thing, but Gordon B. Hinckley said once, generally things work out. And in this regard, uh, it worked out very, very well. <coughs> so, um, If someone's listening that doesn't know what an LDS mission is, it's a a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, You go to an area that you're called to. uh, You don't really have a say in where you're going. Um, And it could be foreign. It could be domestic. And it ends up being uh, 18 months for females and two years for males. Uh, I was called to the Mexico City West mission, so we went to Provo, Utah, to the Mission Training Center and learned—we um, used a, a book called Preach My Gospel, so we learned that book, and we were also learning Spanish. Now, six, mu- six weeks of Spanish um, doesn't really help a lot when it comes to then getting plopped into a country and uh, having to know the language— but I wouldn't have had it any other way. The The best way to learn something, which is also a good business principle is to just get plopped in and immerse yourself 100%. So I remember flying in, <coughs> uh, one, we spent more time at the MTC than we should have. I think it was eight or nine weeks cause we weren't getting our visas. They were about to send us domestic and then our visas came through. So I'm flying into Mexico and, uh, I'm from Southeast Idaho, where I grew up in a city of 3,000 people. And now it's like double the size, but uh, 3,000 people. I I didn't, I'd never really been to a large, large place. I'd been to LA and and Salt Lake and uh, Canada once. But, um, well, and I guess hurrying and and backing up, I had been to a lot of places. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my dad. He had a job where he would drive around Idaho and um, in Montana, uh, servicing fertilizer spreaders. And so I got to spend a lot of time learning Idaho history and Montana and going to different places with him and spending a lot of time with him, which was awesome. Um, <clears throat> so I'm flying into Mexico from Rigby, Idaho, 3,000 people. And we're flying over a city for like 30 minutes. I mean, we're in a jet and it's just houses after houses, after houses. And it's like, man, this is huge. When are we going to land? So we finally land and get out. Um, we, we uh, meet the mission president. <clears throat> um, he takes us over in the parking garage and we're looking at this hill with some houses on it. And he's like elders. Cause you're, you're, uh, you're called elder Martin. So elder, and then your last name elders. There weren't any sister missionaries with us right there. Elders, how many people do you think are on that hill? I was like, I don't know, 100, 200? And he said, thousands. There are thousands of people on that hill. The houses were just stacked up on each other. And at that time in that culture, pretty much three generations would live in the same house. So you'd have... Grandpa and grandma, you'd have the parents and you'd have the kids. And he said, You're here to serve them. You're here to help them. And you're going to meet more people than you ever have in your entire life. I was like, This is awesome. So we get out, we go to a, a, a chapel and we have some dinner. And then we meet our companions and they say, Go. So. I had a companion from Nayarit, Mexico, that knew zero English. And there's me knowing almost no Spanish. And uh, that's how it all started. So such such a great experience. Very difficult experience, but very great. You're just plopped into a country really not knowing the language and going for it. Which, looking back, that was probably my first experience with diving into the unknown and being okay with it, which is also a really good business principle to, to get comfortable with, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think the first night I was hungry and there were some people making some kind of like quesadillas, but a little bit different downstairs and I ate it and it was the best, most spicy food that I've ever eaten in my entire life. It was so good. And then full disclosure, the next day I pooped my pants. So so I was like to my companion, we, I need a bathroom. I need a bathroom. And we didn't make it. And, uh, he was mad at me for like a week after that. Like, Hey man, I didn't mean to, but I couldn't really tell him, you know, like that I was sorry, because I didn't really know the language. But anyways, all character building, right? So um, throughout this mission, <clears throat> it's set up in a way where you're out helping people. And as you learn and develop leadership qualities, uh, you you get into different positions of leadership in your mission. And so the first kind of position of leadership is you become a trainer. So after my first companion, um, I was put with uh, uh, an, another companion and the, the APs, the assistant to the president said, hey, we're putting you with this guy because he doesn't want to work and we need you to help him to work. <laughs> this was really influential in me learning people and what makes them tick so there is a principle of obedience on on the mission there are many many rules and it's very strict Uh, you wear mission clothes all the time you always wear your name tag very rarely do you put on normal clothes and go out and do anything you work from sun up till sundown Uh, But you do have one preparation day, which is where you can do your laundry. You can maybe go visit uh, somewhere in the mission, you know, some historical place or or something or go play. We played a lot of soccer, a little bit of basketball, um, had some lunches with um, lots of other missionaries, uh, visited the well, I don't need to get into where I visited. So that that obedience was very important. <clears throat> but <laughs> my first <clears throat> my first zone leader was not super obedient, uh, but he was one of the hardest working and highest baptizing missionaries. I don't know why my voice is doing this. I'm really sorry. <clears throat> Um, and I don't edit these podcasts, so you're going to, uh, you're going to hear it all. Um, not, not super obedient, but was also the highest baptizing missionary in in the entire mission. And so it was kind of weird because my first zone, I kind of learned like, oh, rules can be bent. Now I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying that this is what people should go out and do. I'm just telling my story. So. With this second companion, the, the AP, which is that same, that same AP, the guy that was a very hard worker and the highest baptizing um, missionary out there or on our mission. He said, Hey, we're putting you with this guy because he doesn't want to work. And it's your job to figure out how to get him to work. I was like, well, man, I've only been here for a couple months. Like why me? But Hey, you asked me to, so let's make this happen. And I had also learned that, you know, he bent rules. So for the good of humanity and the good of getting this elder to do things, how about, you know, I allow him to bend some rules with some stipulations. So at this point I was speaking Spanish much, much better. And I sat him down and I said, Hey, look, I know you don't want to go out and work. I want to go out and work, but I understand that You're close to being done on your mission. You're burnout. You don't want to do anything. So let's do this. For every five people that we get to church and five people that we can help, then you get one free day that we can do whatever you want. Obviously, like, you know, not something crazy. It's not like we're going to go to a bar. But um, we can we can just. We can go do it and we don't need to wear mission clothes. We can wear normal clothes and we can go out and do it. I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, by the way, just saying this is how this is how we did it. We ended up helping a lot of people in, I think it was six weeks that I was with him. And that kind of just taught me about people. You know, he, he was fine working. It's just, he didn't want to be working all the time. He wanted to be doing some fun things. Now it's arguable, you know, on a mission, like, well, you're there for two years and you just work, work, work. But in this situation, I was tasked with helping him figure out how to work. And that's how we did it. I figured out that he needed something fun in his life so that he could work. We ended up bowling on a lot of P days, uh, in that, in that, um, in that six weeks, uh, we bowled a lot. Um, we went to the the center. It's called El Socolo, uh, one of the biggest cathedrals in all of um, South um, Mexico and South America. I think it's actually the oldest as well. Really cool place. Um, great tacos around there. And uh, after that, uh, because we had had some success, uh, I was moved to a different area and was with a a newer missionary. We was with him for six weeks. We also had some, some pretty good successes. And after that, um, the first kind of position of leadership that you get into in a, in a mission is, uh, being a trainer. So, uh, had a, a brand new missionary, Elder Crespin, um, also from Mexico. And, uh, I was able to, to train him. Then within that time, Uh, or after that six weeks, uh, became a district leader. So I was still training, but a district leader. So you're over uh, a district. And then in that district is a zone. And within those uh, several zones are your entire mission. So this is a district leader for a little while uh, and was able to learn more about people. So taking this to business, um, I learned that it's just people management. You know, we could have a lot of success and we could get a lot of people out working and helping a lot of people by figuring out what made each one of them tick and then finding what people wanted. So, you know, some people needed service. Some people needed us to go over and help them make dinner. Some people needed us to just help them carry water from the well to their house, Um so finding what people needed and then pairing them with the right people, then getting the, let's say workers, employees, missionaries, getting them to have a solid work ethic and to enjoy what they're doing, like really enjoy it, not just do it. Cause I said, I'd be there for two years. No. Like you have to find some sort of passion in it. And that's something that I think I thrived at, uh, something that was really exciting to me. So it was getting them tick. Uh, so after that, um, moved up to an area called Tlan Lepantla and uh, was a zone leader up there. Um, so just throughout my mission, just kind of progressing in leadership, not because I had all these great qualities or whatever, but it was, I think, because I was just passionate about helping people passionate about leadership passionate about finding the right people to do the right things at the right time and helping people so this was also influential in in starting businesses um throughout my mission my brother brandon would write me uh, he he and my parents wrote me more than than anybody um, i think it was just about every week I'd get a letter. And they were all so inspiring. Uh, one of them talked about focusing on something and letting it become like a burning desire. And what you focus on expands. And so throughout my mission, I started to really implement that. I went from Pantla out to a place called Metepec. And pretty much at this point, I had almost all white companions for the rest of my mission, which is pretty rare um, and actually kind of difficult because it's way easier to speak English than it is Spanish. And so we would have to force ourselves uh, to speak Spanish because it was just too easy to to speak English to each other. Um, It was also fun because... There's this stigma out there that if you get two people from each nationality together as companions, so two Mexicans or you know two Americans, that they're just gonna go off and have fun, and they're not gonna work hard, and they're not gonna find people to help. So, when I got with this this uh, first companion that was white, um, he kind of taught me some things, and uh, we had decent success it was cool and then uh an, another missionary was put with me in that mission and i i think that it was his first time being zone leader and it was kind of like oh man they're putting these two together like they're not going to do anything which was interesting cuz we had both done a lot but the whole idea was you put these two together and you know same nationality they're just going to So we made it our mission, like, you know, no pun intended on a mission. We made it our mission to go out and help as many people as possible. And we actually had a lot of success. It was really cool. Um, So breaking through some stigmas and barriers there, uh, you don't have to abide by what people say. So if someone says, oh, hey, you're not going to be successful, go prove them wrong. It's okay to prove people wrong. Uh, not, a stick it in their face. You know, we didn't go around and go, Hey, you, you bunch of losers that told us we weren't going to be successful. Look how successful we were. No, you just do it in silence. Just go and work and, and make it happen. So, um, after that, <clears throat> we, I, I had a few different areas, ended up, uh, opening an area that had been shut down, um. I don't remember why it was shut down there was an area in my mission that was shut down because some missionaries saw they witnessed a murder uh this was not that area but you know some crazy stuff happened down there um something that just popped into my head too uh negotiation negotiation in business the first time that someone went to rob us i was like i was freaked out i was like uh okay yeah take anything that i have and my, my companion was from Mexico and he, he puts his hand over on me like, like hey, stop talking. Don't, don't do anything. And he just gets really calm and he goes, why do you want to rob us? And the guy's like, well, because you're dressed nice and you got a white boy with you and all white boys are rich. I want your shoes. I want your wallet. I want your backpacks. And he went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. You're assuming that we're rich But I want you to look at a few things here Look at our shoes Both of our shoes were Tattered I mean we walk for two years Our shoes are tattered He's like look at, look at our shoes They have holes in them L- Look at our pants Like these are not brand new pants uh, Our shirts Aren't completely white Because we wear them every day and we're walking and we're walking so we're not even in public transportation public transportation here is cheap and we obviously can't afford public transportation and now I want you to look at my and my name badge it says Jesus Christ on it do you really want to rob somebody that has no money that can't use public edu- or pu- public education public transportation and that they have a tag that says that name on it. Do you really think that this is a good thing to do? And the guy was like, yeah, whatever, man. And he walks away. It blew me away. Used it a couple other times on my mission. When I was with other missionaries that I, you know, after I understood that, you know, someone would walk up, Hey, give me your backpack. Be like, Hey man, why? why do you want our backpack? And then just explain the whole thing again. Sometimes we ended up giving them Book of Mormons. Like, hey, you know, I'm not going to let you rob us because we really don't have much to rob. But in this backpack, I have a book. You want a book? Here's a book. Um, so that was fun as far as negotiation skills. And now I can travel to Mexico and feel pretty good about it. We go to Mexico and I feel completely safe. So I won't, I won't keep on on the mission very long, but it was very influential in me starting a business later on, because I felt like I could do anything. So I get home off of my mission. And within a week, I had met Kira, who is now my wife. Um, Six months after my mission, we were married. And uh, I remember I went on a camping trip with her parents and her and uh, her dad asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, I either want to be a dentist or I want to own some businesses. And he was being really funny, and he looked at Kira and he's like, Well, which one of those would you like? And she's kind of like, I don't, I don't care. Um, but I was pretty dead set, pretty, pretty quickly dead set that business is where I wanted to be. So an opportunity arose fairly quickly after I got home. It was actually before we even got married to start a rock climbing gym. We worked for. Um, Really good friends of ours, uh, Justin Packard and and Courtney Packard, and they owned a gymnastics center. And also when you start a business, it doesn't have to be your idea. Just so you know, uh, our first few businesses were not our idea. In fact, I kind of need to attribute all of it to Justin Packard. Um, he had this big open wall in the gymnastics center and I was, I was coaching for him and so was Kira. (coughs) And he's like, man, I'd love to put a rock climbing wall up there. So I was like, well, if he wants to put a rock climbing wall up there, but he doesn't have the time to do it, I wonder if I put a rock climbing wall there. There's nothing like that in our town. Uh, College students might really like it. So started putting together a business plan. And um, I had never done a business plan, but did it anyways. And I'll, I'll get people that will ask us about business and say, hey, how do I write a business plan? And I go, well, here's how I did it, but how I did it was literally hopping online and saying, how do you write a business plan? Um, I've found out some good ways to do that, uh, some better ways to do it, but the truth is you just need to do it. So I put this business plan together, figured out what we needed to do, and uh, started going around to some banks. And it was maybe demoralizing at the time, but now I find it hilarious. Because the bank goes, well, you don't have the five C's of lending. You don't have collateral and, and cash and, you know, whatever those five C's are. I don't even give a crap what those five C's are. Uh, they did because they just saw this young person that came in and wanted a $15,000 loan and they thought they'd never get paid back. But at the same time, they'll give hundreds of thousands of dollars to a student loan and then they get out and uh, can't pay their student loans back. Uh, so I just thought that was kind of funny now at the time I probably didn't, but now I find it funny. So what I, what I just decided was we are going to open this no matter what. So I had the business plan and I went around to the five wealthiest people that I knew and four of them said, no, totally get it. I understand. We're young, uh, asking for 15,000, which at the time I thought was just an astronomical number. Uh, But we did have one person who said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this with my wife. We're going on vacation. Um, We're going to talk about it and I'll I'll give you a call back. So about five days later, gives me a call back and he said, Hey, we like this. Uh, How does 6% interest sound? And we had given him, uh, given them uh, kind of a breakdown. We could do five years at this percentage, six years at this percentage, um, and they liked it. They said, hey, let's let's do this. In hindsight, they took a big chance on us. Um, since then, they we look up to them in so, so many ways. And um, actually, we'll we'll get a little bit more into this because I think that relationships, are one of the most important things that we can do in business. We had made a decision that no matter what happened, they would get their $15,000 back. They worked hard for that money. They're really good people. They're taking a chance on us. They will get that money back. Now, there are some business people that are like, oh, it's business. So if I default on this loan, it's just business. It's not personal. No, I think business is very personal. If I ever get a loan from somebody, they will get their money back. That is just how it is. And I think that's something that's been lost in society and it could be a handshake. It does not need to be written down. They will get their money back. So they, they loan us this money. We, we get going. Um, made some pretty bad decisions cause I just didn't know anything about business. We bought a lot of things at retail cost when we could have bought them at wholesale, but we get going and, um, it was cool. People would walk into the gym and we'd teach them how to belay and they would have a good time. And I was like, man, we built this, like we built something that, that people want to do. They come, they enjoy it. They're having fun. And I didn't get the idea of value creation at the time, but that's what we were doing. We were creating value and then we were exchanging that value in terms of dollars. So powerful. So, so powerful. Value creation is number one. So, you know, on on my mission, for example, we are creating value. We're helping people with whatever they need, whatever they need creating value. And in turn, we technically didn't get a lot back as far as like value exchange, except for how we felt, which is also very important to learn. It's okay to provide value and the value that you get in return is learning, growing the feeling that you get and the work ethic that comes around it. So value doesn't always have to be traded for dollars. In fact, I do many things right now for free, Uh, a lot of things for free. I actually should, (laughs) I should charge more for a lot of the things that I do, but I enjoy them. And so I just feel like there's this, actually, I don't even feel it. I know there's some universal law that I don't understand that works, that if you serve it will come back to you in some way it might be monetary it might not be monetary but it will come back to you in some way so you know people are climbing we're we're loving it we think it's so cool and through that time we are managing apartments so that was really good for us as far as learning the business side of, of apartment management and people management and how everybody is so incredibly different. Uh, some people are easy to work with. Some people are hard to work with. And um, we managed apartments for, <clears throat> I think it was about five years. Two different apartment complexes uh, and worked with great people in both of those. Um, the, the first owners... Uh, were Melanie and David, and so amazing, such so, such great people. Uh, loved working with them in in every way. Uh, it was funny because when we had our interview with them, Kira was pregnant, but we didn't tell them because we're like, if she's if they we tell her if we tell them that she's pregnant, like they might not hire us. So I think it was maybe even that same day. Melanie asked Kira if she was pregnant or it might've been a couple weeks later, but, um, she's like, yeah, I am. I, I hope that's okay. And Melanie is like, that's actually one of the reasons why we're going to hire you. Uh, we love preg- pregnant people and it, it, you know, it keeps you, uh, home, which is really good because then, you know, people can come and you can help people all day long. And anyways, it was awesome. Uh, So managing apartments was really good for us. If I were to be able to counsel young people right now on what to do to be successful in business later on, it is immerse yourself with really good people that know what they're doing and just emulate them in any way possible. So as I look throughout my life, um, you know, I, I tried to be a lot like my dad. He was the type of person where many Saturdays we went and just helped people. I remember doing concrete. I remember doing roofing. I remember doing framing. It was just, if someone needed help, we just went and helped them. It was something that I learned from my dad. Uh, Emulating my brother, Brandon. Um, Very good work ethic and very smart. And he thinks through things and he doesn't, He doesn't conform to the common narrative. He really thinks things through. As time went on, trying to emulate other missionaries on my mission. Well, let's start even with friends. So friends in high school, trying to take their positive qualities and be more like them. Doesn't mean that you can't be yourself, but being yourself might mean developing into who you are. So finding people and surrounding yourself with good people, Um, people on my mission, whether they were uh, companions or leaders or uh, people that we were helping, uh, whoever it was, emulating the good, getting back home and trying to emulate uh, people that I worked for. Uh, I want to say professors in college, but there were very few that I actually would have wanted to emulate. Um, but maybe, maybe two, (laughs) uh, emulate good people. Um, the people that we worked for when we were managing apartments, the first set of apartments absolutely wanted to emulate them. Uh, and then it's also important to know who you do not want to emulate. So second set of apartments that we managed, uh, didn't want to be anything like the, the person that we worked for. Uh, learned very quickly that that is not my leadership style. And I wanted far from that. So surround yourself with really good people. Uh, Just continuing on, we started a gymnastics bus. So this portable or mobile gymnastics bus, and we would take it to daycares and preschools and monastery schools and, and teach gymnastics in the bus, like preschool age gymnastics. And it was awesome. Uh, you're able to give a product, you're adding value to some kids that might not get that value. You know, working parents, they they're busy. They might not be able to take kids to gymnastics after preschool. So they were a a daycare. And so they were able to get it during daycare. It was really, really cool. Um, also not my idea for the bus that was Justin Packard as well. So thank you there. Um, But again, it's okay to take someone else's idea with their permission and go out and start it. I'm a jumper, so I don't like to do things halfway. I like to go all the way. So I started to get into CrossFit and very quickly was like, well, if I'm paying for a membership, I might as well become a coach. I really want to learn this stuff. So I became a coach and then uh, ended up uh, with a friend buying half. I'm trying to think here. Yeah. So we bought half. So I owned a quarter of a a CrossFit affiliate. And then later on, we ended up buying out the other half partner. So then we owned half and then later ended up buying out the half from the friend. So, so we owned the full thing. Um, like I said, I just, I, I'm a jumper. So, and I think that's a good principle to learn too. If you want to be in business, you just kind of have to go for it. I didn't know if it was going to be successful. I didn't know exactly how much it was going to make or what, but I just wanted to help people. I just wanted to add value, learn for myself, do as much as possible and see what happened. And so far that's, that's worked out pretty good. I know there are businesses around, uh, definitely larger businesses, that will do these huge market analysis. They'll spend from tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars doing a market analysis to see if they should put their business in a certain area. When the truth is, if you have a solid product or you have a solid idea and you have a solid work ethic, just do it. It could be a lean startup. You don't need to spend million dollars starting up a gym, you can spend $15,000 starting up a gym. And when it becomes successful, you can start to add more and more into that. Now going back to relationships, you know, we created this relationship with um, the the first people that gave us the loan for the rock wall, they then gave us a loan for the gymnastics bus. And our goal has always been pay them off early and always pay them off no matter what. And that has grown. And I won't go into all of the things that we have done with them, but the money has grown from 15,000 to much, much more. And our goal has never changed. They not only get their initial money back, but they earn all of the interest that is accrued throughout that time that's very, very important. Um, I I actually, I just feel like that's one of the most important things because I will work as hard as possible to make sure that they make their money back. They've worked very, very hard for their money and they're great people. And I want to make sure that they always get it back. So that's just a principle to think of. You're adding value to people in so many different ways in business. You're adding it through the product or service that you're selling. You're adding it through yourself and what you can help people with and what you can teach people. And then you are adding it through whoever is funding your venture. You're adding value by giving them the interest back that they loaned you. Now think of all the value that they're adding in their industry. So whatever industry they do, they're adding value and then they're getting that value exchange back in the form of dollars. Then they're able to take those dollars and loan them to us so that we can add value, and then we can add value back to them. The free market capitalist system is absolutely incredible when used correctly. Right now, we do not live in a free market capitalist system. We live in a crony capitalist system. Now, I'm talking on the national government level. On the, the small level that we've done, It is complete capitalism and, and free market. If we have a bad product and a bad service, and I'm a crappy person, then that's going to be reflected. And we're going to go out of business. That means that I lose everything. And that means that I can't pay these good people back that are also adding value. So when there's government bailouts and stuff like that, that's not capitalism. That's, that's cronyism. Um, I, I really wish that we lived in just a very solid free market capitalist society. I think it would flourish, flourish. But as soon as you get bureaucratic involvement in, I'm probably taking this a little too political, but as soon as you get bureaucratic regulation, over regulation in certain ways, it's not capitalism anymore. What we've done is complete, pure, utter capitalism. My goal is to add value in every single way possible. And then once we find where we can give the most value, we focus there. Then that value can go back to investors. Okay. Anybody can start a business. Anybody listening who wants to start a business, I urge you to start a business today, not tomorrow. We can't do this. I'll start it on Monday. Crap. You start it now file paperwork for an LLC. You don't even have to have the correct name. So maybe your business is going to be foodjournaling.com, which is a terrible name. Uh, maybe that's not gonna be the name but you don't know it yet. You might not even know what business you're gonna start, but you're still gonna start it today. You're gonna hop on and you're gonna file an LLC and it could be some name that you come up with. It could be Brick Wall Distributing LLC. Later on, you can do a Doing Business As and you can change the name and it's all good, but you're gonna start today. So get on, file your paperwork, get an LLC. now it's time to start brainstorming, figure out your ikigai. So here we go. Uh, The last six minutes, we're going to talk about ikigai. My whole life has moved me to figuring out that we need to live by this Japanese term called ikigai. It doesn't directly translate because it's a very complicated word. And it's complicated in this fact. You need to find the balance between doing something that you're good at, something that serves the world, something that you are passionate about, and something that earns you money. You have to find the balance between those four things. Many people have jobs and make money, but they hate their job. That is not the way to live. Many people do what they love, but don't make any money, which is also not the way to live. We live in a society where it is necessary to have a plenty of money. That is maybe not a perfect quote from Wallace D. Waddles in The Science of Getting Rich, which is a book that I highly recommend. There are a few books that I recommend to start off. The Science of Getting Rich... By Wallace D. Wattles. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie also. The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And How to Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. These are not the be-all, end-all books, but they are a very solid foundation of helping you learn to take responsibility of your own life and to get out there and start a business. Those books never taught me about Ikigai, but the essence of them are. If you're not doing what you're passionate about, life is just not full And if you're not doing something that you're good at, that's okay if you can become good at it, but there's just some things that we're just not going to be good at, and that's okay. So we can change directions. You can change jobs. You can change careers. You can change what discipline you're going to in college. You can quit college. You can go to a trade school. You can start a... Like, there's so many different ways. You can just take some time off and go to Europe. Like, we, we put this weird gotta go to high school, go to college, get a degree, contribute to your 401k and just be a good citizen by getting a job. And it's, it's just wrong. All of those books have the essence of the Ikigai. Do what you're passionate about, do what you're good at, do what makes money and do what is good for the world. Can you imagine where we would be today If everybody had that focus, it doesn't mean that everyone needs to be perfect at it because we're, we're not going to be perfect. That's one thing too, that I really want to get across is I mess up so much. I look back at the last 15 years and I go, man, if I would have done this, I'd be in a way different position. If I would have done this, I would have done this. Um, and actually I'm not even like, we're almost done with this. I'm not going to get into my last two years. because I've made a lot of mess ups in the last two years and uh, that I'm still getting out of. Um, and, I, and probably a year from now, we'll do an episode about my last two years. It'll be three years at that point. And some things that I've overcome because we mess up and that's okay. Uh, messing up in business is what you need to go out and do. So you're going to file this LLC And you're going to start to figure out what you want to do, and you're going to mess up, which just means that you learn. That is what it is all about. If you look at the billionaires and the multimillionaires and even just the millionaires out there, and you start to interview them and talk with them and ask them how many times they've messed up versus how many times they have won, I guarantee you they've messed up 90% and they've won 10%. But they're willing to mess up. Go out, be willing to mess up. I'm about to go out and do a CrossFit workout. And I know that in that CrossFit workout, I'm going to find things that I need to be better at. After that, I'm going to go and put this podcast out. And as I do that, I'm going to find things that I could be better at. And after that, I'm going to hop on and I'm going to start doing some day trading. And I'm probably going to see that some of my positions are way down, which means I could have done better. Later on, I have some consulting and I'm going to find out that there's things that I don't know. And after that, I'm going to go to jujitsu and I'm going to get choked and armbarred and leg locked or whatever, several times. And I'm going to learn that there are things that I could have done better. And after that, I'm going to be doing some more, uh, things around the business. And I'm going to find out that there are things that I could have done better. And then later I'm going to see my kids and I'm probably going to say some things that I could have said better. And that is okay. Okay. It is 100% okay. Don't beat yourself up. Praise yourself for being open to knowing that you're going to go mess up every day. But messing up is fine if you're not giving up. If you mess up and give up, that is pathetic. If you mess up, learn from it. You either win or you learn. It's not win or lose. You win or learn. That's the things that I've learned throughout my life. There's probably a little bit more that I could say, uh, but I won't due to time. <clears throat> I am not perfect in any way. I mess up all the time. And I want people to know I, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just word vomiting now. Go mess up. Go mess up as much as possible with the mindset that you will learn. And I promise you, 10 years from now, you will blow yourself away of where you're at. And just last thing, which we can get more to in another episode, write down what you want, not just the the physical possessions, write down how you want to feel, how you want to act, how you want to be and the physical things that you want, what relationships you want to have, whether with people or spirituality, whatever that is, write it, down as if it has already happened. Write it down, read it every single day and adapt it as time goes on. I promise you writing things down is one of the most powerful things that you could possibly do to radically change your life. So that's it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed my long stories um, and my, my breaks because I have to take little breaks to think. Uh, I'm not just I'm not a great orator. So <clears throat> thank you for listening. If you even got it this far. You're a rock star. Uh, if you guys ever need anything, please reach out. I'm always happy to help how I can. I definitely don't know everything. I have a lot to learn, but the things that I do know, I'm happy to share. Uh, we keep no secrets. We share everything. Uh, Thank you guys. Have a great day and we'll see you soon.